Hello and welcome to the WAMDA podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. Disaster for many evokes a sense of fear and danger and a desire to seek out safety and stability. But there are those who manage to seek out the opportunities and disasters. These people usually tend to be pioneers, innovators and risk takers. This pandemic has caused a crisis unlike any other in modern history. Millions have suffered as a result, but there are those who have thrived and seized the market opportunities that the pandemic has brought about. For this podcast, I spoke with two companies, one that did not exist at the beginning of this year, the other with a rich 128-year history. Both now produce and sell face masks in the UAE. I spoke to them to get a better sense of how they spotted the opportunity and what will happen to them once a vaccine is made available. I spoke initially with Rami and Jalal Silo, fourth generation members of the Sidar family. Sidar is one of the oldest companies in the Middle East, founded in 1892 in Damascus, Syria. It began as a hardware store, catering to the fit out of the Orient Express. The family business has managed to survive two world wars and all the other conflicts that have plagued the region since. Throughout its history, the company has pivoted, going from hardware to establishing a paint factory to supplying curtains and blinds to their customers around the world. Today, they have 3,000 employees and have their headquarters in the UAE. Rami is the chief operating officer and Jalal is the global sales director. The history of your family business is fascinating and one that seems to be filled with pivoting and seizing market opportunities. Jalal, can you explain how this has become part of the DNA of the company? Absolutely. Um, We've noticed that uh, we're in a region that tends to have a lot of new events happening very frequently. And anytime something happens, we we really learn from these, from the history. And we, we, we learn it through, you know, stories, sometimes, you know, uh, in family gatherings, my father or my uncle or my grandfather, uh, he would say, okay, let me tell you what happened when so-and-so did this and they did it this way and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and sometimes we did something and it didn't work out, so be careful not to do this. And So all these stories would end up you know, in our mind and we'd always remind ourselves of these stories. Rami, you're the chief operating officer. What were you focusing on over the past few years? Okay, uh, so... I mean, like, I'll just continue what Jalal was saying. Basically, at the beginning, when we started off here in the UAE, we we established a factory and we were more more sort of considered as uh, distributing the blinds, the curtains business throughout the different like areas and stores and uh, across the UAE and the region. Later on, we, we, we established our own stores, our own retail stores. And that's where we started to expand basically in the retail side of things where we have showrooms, we have different areas that we cover across the UAE and the GCC as a whole. And then slowly we started to also enter different projects from hotels to government to different you know, regions around the area. About four, four years ago, I would say, we started a new uh, franchise concept, meaning that taking our brand even further in areas where it would be difficult for us to sort of invest, but maybe find local partners uh, who are willing to invest in the brand. We provide, uh, provide them with the know-hows uh, from 
the production side to the retail side to the logistics side because we also have servicing we basically install all our products as well and and that's the direction that we, we sort of moved in uh, moved uh, about four or five years ago and obviously we have a team that's that's ongoing obviously finding new investors uh, as we speak and business was going well before covid yeah yeah yeah. fantastic so what happened when the pandemic hit and we were in lockdown and people couldn't visit your retail stores we started to notice that demand was changing in some places demand was increasing some places was decreasing uh, especially in the beginning i'm towards end of march you don't know what's going to happen every day so we 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 set up a team which is basically like a, a dynamic task force just to communicate what's going on with all the demand so that we we know how to manage our staff, how to manage the the new local law that changed twice a day. You know, things were changing all the time. So it was really hard to to manage that part. I mean, there was demand, but we weren't able to reach our customers and customers weren't able to come to us. So we came up with uh, some some other concepts like, you know, uh, consultation at home, virtual showroom. Uh, we pushed our online platform to, to to have a lot of more variety of products so people can order online. So that, that was the curtain business responding to, to, to COVID. At the same time, we started getting government projects for all these field hospitals. We're, we're actually the only ones who stock like massive amounts of fabric and, you know, antibacterial fabric, hospital fabric, all these uh, highly rated uh, products. So our retail dipped and our projects just peaked. So where did the idea to start making masks come from? My, my cousin was saying, you know, it'd be really interesting if we, we can just start making medical masks because we're in fabric. We have a lot of high spec fabric. And uh, I looked at my cousin and it was funny because two hours before that, I was in the factory looking at what machinery we can modify to make masks. And, and I said, okay, so if you can work on the designs, I'll work on the, on the, on the machinery. And uh, then we had a discussion with my father and uncle and they said, you know, it'd be great if you guys can make medical masks. And then we all looked at each other and we realized that we're all thinking in that same direction. And this was about, let's say, towards end of March where things were starting to lock down and things were becoming more expensive. A box of masks at that time was 250 dirhams. It was, it was crazy numbers. We, we, we reached out to our contacts pretty much everywhere in the world. Some raw materials were available, some were not. Some we had to modify, some we had to create. Uh, we looked at machinery, we had to ship certain machinery, we modified a lot of machinery. But within, I would say, three and a half weeks, we were producing masks, which is quite record time. And we already started hunting for, for clients for other types of PPE as well. One thing that this pandemic has brought about is the acceleration of the digitization of services. So a lot of online retailers went online, a lot of offline services were available online. But it seems as though you guys focused a bit more on the government projects. Well, I mean, uh, when uh, a contractor gets a government project, as an example, it's all about contacts and how, how, who he knows and to, just to get the job done. Uh, price isn't, doesn't become an object at that time. Uh, reaching to our retail customers, we've, we've been really pushing this online platform and, and we did reach out and we did notice that people started buying more online. How much does the retail side of things account for the overall business? The retail versus project, I think, I mean, this year was around 60, 40. And before COVID, how much of that was online versus offline? Uh, our online penetration, and ter- we, we launched our online platform. When did we do that? Uh, January. Like j- early January. So it was just starting to pick up. And so it's very, it's very small. 
So Jalal, you were looking at the machines and thinking you could make masks now. So how long did it take from the initial discussions to getting them to market? Three and a half weeks. When we did some modifications on machinery, we started making around a thousand masks a day. So these are the blue surgical masks? These are the blue ones, yes. And then we started to do some like fabric ones. And then we, we got more into details of like what specifications are required. Depends on the, the, the proximity you are to a high-risk patient. There's a different standard you should use. And each type of material has a different price. And um, so we just started to see, can we make this product uh, with makeshift items, with you know, a lot of research. Did you have that knowledge or did you have anyone in your team who had that knowledge on PPE and masks and their specifications? Nope. It's all from scratch. You have to research and understand what real specification you should use. And at this point, nobody's free to help share with you. You know, when you start a new concept or a business, whoever is selling you the product wants to really educate you. They want to, um, uh, they, they want you really to know the product very well. But at this point, the vendors would give you maybe five minutes of their time, if not less, be because there was too much demand and the price would, ri would rise every day. So at, at one point, we had ordered raw materials, we had, shift we had sent around uh, $400,000 for raw materials. And by the time that, that money arrived the next day or the day after, the supplier said, oh, by the way, the price went up, we need an extra 200,000. We, we sent that money again, thinking that, okay, things are great. And then two days later, supplier doesn't even reply anymore. So we thought we lost the money. And the reality was that someone had purchased our first shipment. When we bid again, someone else purchased our shipment. And you can hear these stories where in, in China, certain, certain people have purchased jumbo jets as they're about to take off and they would just reroute them. So what was so special about that particular material that was used in masks? Was it made only in China? It's not just about China. They, they make some. They make some of it here. They make. They make some of it in uh, in South Korea. Korea, in in Turkey. The the problem is that all governments started banning that ex exporting of that item. So many people purchased like uh, defected items. It's called melt blown. That's a very specific item, and that's that's the that's the filter of the mask. That's really the the essence of the mask. And and at that point, um, people were were purchasing something, and they were being sent something else. So how do you deal with that? You sent a substantial amount of money and you're not getting your product. So we got our money back maybe maybe six weeks after that happened. The supplier was generous enough to, to send things back. We had to look at, okay, what is needed to make a mask with, a, with good protection? So we, we, we went back and did a bit of chemistry and understood, okay, so it has to meet this standard and that standard and moved back and found different materials. We, we, from, from, from actually this, uh, you know, this uh, challenge, we, we ended up uh, discovering another type of material, which is a nanotechnology-based material, which is a washable N95 filter. So now we sell N95 masks with a, uh, that are washable. They're not disposable. Where do you produce your masks and how many do you make a day? We produce them here. We produce them here in our facility in Sharjah. Okay. We produce around 250,000 masks a day. And our capacity is actually uh, coming up to be, I think we're going to be hitting a, a double mark in the next few weeks. So what did you have to move around or do differently to go from producing 1,000 masks a day to now 250,000? Just a lot of hard work, I'd say. <laughs>
<laughs> it was it was something it's really against time. It was it was like 17 I, I mean I know yesterday is like April 1st because we you know days just keep passing by. We never had a lockdown. Uh, we were just pushing hard. Yeah, I think I think the main advantage of of being able to survive because I mean, like you know, the masks went from two hundred dirhams a box to close to fifteen, uh, ten dirhams now. You see in the markets and pharmacies and stuff like that. So I mean, what happened was I think a lot of companies and maybe even individuals thought that this this was a business opportunity to invest in masks. So they went and bought containers from China, from Korea, from, you know, different areas. And, and that's where the, the big drop happened. Obviously, this is to the benefit of the, end, uh, the consumer. But, uh, I mean, me buying the masks at an expensive price and selling them here at, let's say, 50, and then the next week at 20 dirhams. And then, so I basically lost. I, had, I thought it was a big opportunity. But when I started working as a trade, um, I realized this was not a feasible business. And the advantage we had was that we actually manufacture these. So we basically just buy raw materials and, and that's the reason why our expansion sort of, well, the expansion was ex exponential because people who worked with this trade thing, they did it once and then they didn't do it again because they thought, okay, that's not a feasible product. So you've shifted quite a bit around in the factory in order to make these masks. But what will you do when the day comes when we won't need as many masks or people won't be wearing as many masks? People think that the moment uh, they come up with a vaccine, the demand for, for masks is going to drop. And that's a, you know, it, it, it's a very, I mean, very likely that that's going to happen. W what we have done was, I mean, if you go back a few months, there were people producing masks and a lot of those factories at the moment have closed because they are thinking of only a COVID period uh, they had purchased raw materials at exorbitant prices and were not able to 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 manage their PNL very good. So so what we have done is we look at quality products and we're looking for customers that are still going to be available post COVID. So most of our clients are uh, they they do need masks. They they are medical facilities. Um, uh, they they need the mask for their staff because of COVID. But even if they don't have, you're not in a COVID situation, they still require masks. And traditionally, these masks would have come from China? Yeah. Okay. So I guess there's a benefit of having a local supplier for these things. Yeah, and we do, we also export. We export to, to uh, the States as well. Our, our products have, have gone to really high-end uh, university hospitals on the East Coast. Were you exporting to the US and outside of the Middle East generally before the pandemic? Yeah, we have clients. I mean, we, for, for CIDAR, we have clients all over the world. Okay. Um, there are times when Rami or myself have traveled to literally install curtains in some VIP persons and flew back. So it's a lot of miles, but it's, uh, it's quite tiring. So did you make use of these contacts? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because everyone, I mean, everyone is trading in masks. But also, you know, you, that, that connection you have with, uh, with someone who uh, knows that you're a trusted company, uh, you're well-established, you're someone who is not going to run away. And we're not really looking at, uh, you know, um, just making a quick buck and moving on. We're looking for a new sustainable price, uh, sustainable, um, um, like a sustainable path forward, and that's not based on price. Besides the mask, did you pivot to make anything else? We also started isolation gowns. And... Uh, these isolation gowns, we, not, I mean, at that point we were only doing one type, but now we do up to chemotherapy uh, centers. 
So these isolation gowns, we had pre-orders on isolation because we have over 500 tailors here that can stitch. So uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that we moved into this type of field, whether it's masks or isolation gowns, was that we don't want to, to consider the, even the idea of letting go of our staff. That's a very big thing. That's a big red line for us. So uh, when, when we saw this, this opportunity, we saw really three things. The first one is to, to, to fight this, this pandemic, which is to help people, um, you know, uh, to help people not get the virus, to uh, make the acceleration of the recovery faster because it's good for business. It's also good for humanity. The second thing is that we don't let go of our staff. So, so we retrain them and put them into other things, let them learn, let them, you know, stitch other things, less curtains, more gowns. And the third one is to diversify the business, of course. I mean, we, we, we keep pivoting, we keep changing because we're moving through the times. Given the long history of your family business, what do the elders in the family say with regards to this pandemic? How does it compare to other disasters that the company has witnessed throughout its history? Based on what my father and uncle are telling us, they've seen something similar before. They haven't seen a pandemic, but the, like my, my, my father and grandfather, my father and uncle haven't, but like... I've seen the Gulf War. And yeah, you, you see how shift in demand, you got to be agile, you know, quite lean on, on your cost base. Be careful with your, your, your accounts receivables. Did production ever stop throughout Cedar's history? No, not at all. We always had something going on. So I guess it's ingrained in the business, finding new market opportunities and pivoting to meet those needs. Uh, yeah, and it's also about like, uh, you know, um, building value. Uh, there's one thing my father and uncle say is, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's, you know, Tamir al how do you say that in English? I don't know. But like building, building the world, like, you know, growing, growing the world. So it's, it's very important for them. The sense of building or adding value to the world is something that Osman Khalid, founder of Viromasks, also hopes to do. The serial entrepreneur founded the N95 mask production company in March this year, after coming across a textile developed by scientists in Switzerland that could kill the coronavirus on its surface in half an hour. I began by asking Osman what drove him to start Viromasks. As entrepreneurs, we have to bring value and more effective response to the given challenges. We all know that, you know, governments and uh, World Health Organization or, you know, United Nations type of organizations work a bit slower because of bureaucracy involved. So it's the entrepreneurs that have to take the lead at times. And, and this is what we thought, that we should take the lead, bring in some value-added elements that can help mankind reduce or shorten the span of this uh, pandemic. So this is where the whole idea came through. So when did you have this conversation with your co-founder? So this would be around March uh, timeframe. So my co-founder runs uh, Emco Apparel Manufacturing, which is one of the largest textile manufacturing facilities in uh, United Arab Emirates. They are ge geared mainly towards exports. And uh, we looked at different areas where we can bring in value. Can you tell us a little bit more about the actual textile and the technology behind it? We are the only mask that has been tested against the actual SARS-CoV-2 virus in University of Melbourne in Australia. And we neutralize uh, this 99.98% of the virus within 30 minutes of exposure to the mask. So just imagine this is such an important feat because on your regular 
fabric face mask or surgical mask if the virus is there it's going to stay infectious from 48 hours to one week so how was it trying to strike up a partnership during lockdown i mean usually you'd get on a plane and meet them and negotiate terms so how was that experience that's that's a very interesting story so typically a partnership happens over a couple of months you discuss you you share ideas and so on and so forth but we were in a rush so uh, and uh, we had a chat with uh, these guys and they said yeah we are interested in a partnership but we are not sure and stuff like that and uh, you know i actually asked them i said what's your minimum order quantity and do you have like bank details or something and at that time we did not even knew the cost of the product um, so they said why are you asking us the bank details i said just send it to me you know uh, and at that time i just transferred uh, a decent amount of money to their bank account and i said listen now that you guys know that we are very serious because remember they were producers of antiviral technology they are probably getting a thousand calls a day right from everywhere from people like me right so so we just transferred the money and we went like all right we transferred the money how much of the product do we get and then they started us taking seriously and they appointed a, an account manager and and then we started working from there that sounds quite crazy i mean you hadn't received a sample of this textile did you know whether the machines at amco would be compatible with it um it seems quite risky no absolutely so as entrepreneurs we always take uh, a risk and reward ratio so we thought the risk and reward ratio is there so uh, so that's how we did it and in essence sometimes you just have to jump head first right so this was that time and 2020 does not follow your old business principles if you are following old business principles in 2020 i'm sorry but in 2021 you might not be around how long did it actually take from when you had the idea to to getting the product in the market? Uh, so we we went ahead and and from the day when we actually decided that okay we are gonna go do this, it took us only seven weeks to actually launch the product in UAE. And one of the main uh, uh, delay factors in that was getting the legal papers ready because uh, you know even though the trade licenses can be. Can be you can get trade licenses within a week or so but at that time uh, it took us uh, about a good four or five weeks to get the trade license issued that's still very fast so so the two things that really helped us over here was the r d department was already in place at the factory and then uh, because of centric which is my company which is into branding and marketing we were able to very quickly build the brand as well as all the marketing collaterals and materials so so practically this is all what we worked on during the uh, during the lockdowns and in the lockdowns we were working from home but we were doing 20 hours a day type of uh, work days how did this experience of founding Viromask compare to your experience in founding other companies so first of all uh, i myself have never released a product in seven weeks so this was an experience uh, the second bit is uh, we have never formed a company that grew so quickly out of nowhere uh, our first uh, production run was uh, about forty thousand masks um, and, and that's where we started from like what, three and a half, four months ago. And uh, we are producing more than a million in October. So, uh, so you can just imagine the growth rate. So both of these experiences are extremely interesting. And both of us do not come from a retail background. 
So some of the contracts that we have negotiated with the retail industry, interestingly, are very, very favorable to us. Um, and this is all because we just didn't knew the retail industry, right? And they would go like, okay, we do things in a certain manner. And we go like, no, 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 you do. You might do things that way, but we are going to do things this way. And they agreed to our contractual term. It's a big experience of leaping into something you have no experience in. So how did you tread those waters? I, I say in entrepreneurship, a bit of naivety is a, a good thing. So we were naive about the retail industry. So as an example, in retail, all your big retailers charge about 40, 50% of the margin, but we, we negotiated much better deals than that. Just because we did not knew and whenever they would say 40%, we got like, there is no way we are paying 40%, you know? So, uh, so from, from that angle, you know, even though it's a very normal thing now, you know, uh, looking at uh, it in hindsight, that retailers normally charge 40 to, you know, 50%, 30%. Is that because your product was quite unique at the time and there was and there still is that demand for masks? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so there are two things. So retailer will never create demand for your product. So if you have, as a brand owner, you have to create the demand for the product in the market. And that happens by brand awareness and market education. So we had to do both of those things. And once customer starts to walk in uh, into a given retail store asking for your brand, then no matter what happens, uh, the retailer will uh, will put it. Coke and Pepsi would be a great example. I do not think they, they share much revenues with the retailers, but they are in every store. And that's the reason if the store does not carry the fizzy drinks, then, then the customers don't walk in. So did you raise any investment? It's uh, still is a sell funded and and we are increasing our production on a monthly basis and uh, it's becoming very challenging to manage the cash flows because when we talk about the retail sector the the payment terms that the big giants offer you are uh, like really long it's more like consignment basis 45 days payment 90 days payment you know which is which is very normal in this market but what is really helping us in terms of cash flows are our international uh, exports so this is where our distributors pay us upfront and and you know uh, there is no receivable that gets stuck so you mentioned that 2020 is a completely different environment it's a new way of doing business what we have seen this year is the rise of e-commerce you mentioned that uh, you sell your masks through the retailers, but do you also sell them online? Absolutely. So online is a very key channel for us. And uh, one of the main reasons is that online gives a coverage for the whole country. You have some experience of launching e-commerce businesses before this. I want to get a sense of what it was like launching an e-commerce or partially e-commerce business during a pandemic and whether any particular challenges uh, let's say in logistics that you experienced? One thing that we try to do uh, uh, here is being entrepreneurs, we know other SMEs are out there that are struggling. So we always try to prefer smaller companies compared to larger companies and then local companies compared to international companies. So, uh, so obviously some of these companies have their own challenges. So in terms of logistics, we went for a smaller player in the beginning 
and but they they just would not they were not able to handle the volume that we were we were giving them so we had to move to rmx which again we chose because it's a local company not an international company so that we create jobs locally over here instead of just exporting it out that's those were the challenges absolutely logistics was a challenge uh, getting stuff into the country was a challenge as well you know because the flights were the regular flights were not there and charter flights were really expensive uh, and fedex and ups and all the their rates just skyrocketed and uh, and on top some of the materials that we are using in our mask are medical grade materials so a lot of countries have put export restrictions on those materials so there there were supply chain breakages as well uh, in our case while creating the mask yeah so how did you cope with that so we had to actually just ditch that supplier we had to move to another country find a new supplier order new things uh, and actually pay a premium for urgent deliveries and then pay a premium to DHL and FedEx and UPS to bring it sooner. Uh, and even then it was taking like two weeks, three weeks, which are unheard of in pre-COVID days. With regards to the design of the mask itself, did you do this in-house? Did you have the expertise in-house or did you hire people remotely? In the beginning, we did uh, utilize the resources uh, within our businesses uh, to actually design the mask as well as, uh, you know, the websites and stuff like that. But then we started hiring as well because the business was growing and, and we hired. Let's talk about the sustainability of your business. Once there is a vaccination, people won't be wearing masks as much as they are now. So what happens to a business like yours that is created with such a specific purpose and has a product for such a specific use case? There are two things to it. One is the textile technologies. I believe more and more people are going to go and use the wearables that have these technologies, whether whether these technologies are waterproofing your current dress, whatever you are wearing or uh, using a laundry detergent that makes your dress antiviral for a week, two weeks, three weeks. So, so we are going in that direction. There are quite a few products that we are working on in terms of textile technologies and, and you would soon hear more things, more good things coming out of the company. So there you have it, from two very different types of companies. It's about identifying the opportunities and catering to them. It may sound simple, but it requires planning, investment, taking risks and keeping costs low. In the case of Sidar, their history of working with governments and hospitals provided them with a ready client network. For Viromasks, it was a case of making use of their in-house expertise and moving quickly to fulfil demand. I'd like to thank all of our guests and thanks to you for listening. You can listen to all of our podcasts on wamda.com or through your podcast provider. Thank you.